<clears throat> rolling. Extra, extra. This just in. Welcome, Welcome to, to Uncover, Uncover Girl. Girl, the podcast that unpacks the most memorable celebrity profiles of all time. We're your hosts, Ivana Ryder and Beatrice Hazelhurst, ready to unravel and review every culture-defining A-list interview with the help of writers, industry experts, and even the talent themselves. Journalism might be dying, but you better believe the celebrity profile lives on. Give me a second to finish my Slim Jim. <laughs> what is a Slim Jim? Is it? It's jerky. Yeah, this is like a slightly better Slim Jim, but it is a meat stick encased in plastic that I'm eating as a snack. I remember when you were vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> How far she has fallen I know, into I know. gas station it's just, meat. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to get protein in. I know meat. It's just white meat. I, I have, I have a hard time with the cows because they're so sweet and they have such gentle eyes. I know, as do the deer. I, I tell the people they, they need the protein, but it is hard to get it without animal products. And chickpeas just, they, they just aren't it. doing it. They, they aren't doing it. Tofu also, like I mean, we, we should incorporate these things into our diet, but they, they don't really carry the highest. Yeah, to- I just bought tofu punch. actually. I haven't eaten tofu in a really long time, but I really, I, I like it, and I've kind of gotten good at making it over the years. And a fryer is great. I don't have one. Oh, I know. Uh, Me. What? <laughs> Alone on this side of the river. Should I should I get one? I I, I have they, so much that's machinery. That's $40. And they cook everything. You put your chicken breasts in there, you put your fries in there. Do you, you put, use yours a lot? Ivana is the pope, a catholic man in Rome. <laughs> yes, I use I cook muffins in there. Muffins? I put yeah, yeah, I put them in a little ramekin and I put it in and then I make a singular muffin. Just one muffin. Yes, and then you don't have to heat up your whole oven. And then you can fry everything in there. You fry bacon and then it drains all the fat out of the bacon if you, that's what you want. And then you can do your chicken breast, you can do steak even in there. You can cook your fries, crispiest fries. You'll ever have crispiest potatoes. Okay, yeah, the crispiness is is alluring to me because I do, when I bake things in the oven, obviously, which is what I have available to me, oftentimes they come out limp and not crispy. (laughs) They're always sodden. I know. They're always You just can't do it, but, and then it's like frying things. You also- Okay, what's the deal with seed oils? Are you on this? Are you familiar with this? What is this, like grapeseed oil? Yeah. Oh, it's a farce. That was, that came out in like 2005. Really? Oh, it's fine? recycling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I actually have no idea. But I remember my mum getting on Greeks on um, grapeseed oil, and then now we're back on olive. Okay, great. Got it. Got is it, an got olive it. a seed? No, olive is fine. Avocado oil, fine. So, seed it, oil, it's like canola oil or sunflower oil. Oh, so you're saying bad? It's ba- apparently bad. Oh and yeah, no, those are bad. Okay, yeah. yeah. Everyone is saying like, if you consume an, a droplet of canola oil, it's over. <laughs> it's Gwyneth of just Gwen- yeah. shriveling up and dying exactly. after a diet coke. Exactly. Um, which we have with us at our side right oh, now. We Our trusted companion. Actually, an Argo told me in the flesh that after hearing us 
crack open uh, a diet coke she went and got one or craved one which same thing yeah like that really when i when i talk about our impact that's impact that is impact that is on boots on the ground impact maybe maybe coca-cola should sponsor us i, I feel like can they, you imagine we break and coca-cola it's our first advertisement <laughs> I really think they need to get their name out there. That's that's so under the radar, and they could really use I know. a I'm mainstream like, advertiser such as us. Exactly, I agree. Ivana, my love, what is inspiring you? Are you inspired? Have you been inspired? I've been inspired. Um, right now, what's inspiring me is that it appears as though I will be attending Coachella for the very first time in my life. <gasps> oh. Last minute kind of invite, press invite. And then when I then discovered that you too would be attending on a press invite. Yes, but under very different circumstances. I'm attending the Coachella Festival in the Coachella Valley. Yeah. Desert. Indio, yeah. Indio, California, with a press pass from the Coachella Festival itself. I don't know if this is controversial to say on on the pod, but it is kind of, you know, it's, it's base level. You're getting in. Yeah. And then I think there's a media tent where there are snacks and things. And See, I won't have access to that media tent. No, I definitely won't oh, have no, access to Oh, no, you won't. But no. I can, we can get you media credentials. Really? Yeah, I would say so. Oh, but well, that rocks. That, I want to yeah, be in the media but tent. But there are, like, lockers and so oh, on and so forth. But yeah. other than that, it's pretty base level in the sense of, like, you need to get yourself there and you need to have somewhere to rest Stay. your head every night for you i know no yeah you're getting the full vip a wonderful package. angel yeah wonderful angel is putting me up and putting my fiance up and um i am very much looking forward to us figuring out our outfits and of course we will be live streaming the performances on the uncover girl page <laughs> we're relevant like a cringe <laughs> so cringe <laughs> We're like, wait for our outfits. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Teasing an outfit. At 28 years old for me. Like, it's so embarrassing. No, it's not. It's not. You're it's not simply not. No, I'm not embarrassed. So I'm really looking forward to see what we'll look like. But yeah, that's kind of, that's me. What's inspiring you? Oh, I've got a big one. I've okay. got a big one this week. Big, white, fluffy inspiration. I haven't talked about this journey on the pod because it's been a harrowing one, but I've been trying to rescue a cat for the better part of three months. Um, my current cat, Penelope Cruz, was bought off Craigslist. And thank God I did that because there's no way I would have been approved when I was initially trying to adopt her because it is more difficult to adopt a rescue animal, it seems, in this city than to get an apartment. And it's pretty bloody hard to get an apartment in this in this town. No, it's really, it's tough. They come, yeah. So basically, my boyfriend Chris and I have come very close on three separate occasions. We had Ivana and other friends serve as references. They were called by the shelter. I all but cried on the phone talking about Beatrice's capabilities as a, as a cat mother. I was like, no one has ever cared for an animal the way that I've seen Beatrice care for Penelope Cruz. I got a text after Ivana talked to them saying that was the most like profound emotional it was a plea interview. it was a plea oh my god it, and, and it works so to speak i mean we were approved after a house tour we also did a house tour and then i got on a facetime with the woman who said oh so the foster will be keeping him thank you so much but no thank you and i think she did feel bad but this is all to say Last week, I found a cat that I was going to buy. I was going to pay $800 for him. And I said, you know what? It's enough is enough. I was going to give up the goat and just surrender to buying 
a cat. And then as I was sending the link to Chris and saying, this is him, this is the cat that I want to buy, this other beautiful little animal popped up. I'll set the scene for you. Scottish straight. And he traveled here with his family from the Ukraine who could no longer keep him as, as refugees. They fled the war and he came with them and he has a Ukrainian passport and his passport says that he is one day older than Penelope. Oh, can you imagine? Can you believe? December 5th, 2020 was his birthday. Oh, a good birthday. A good birthday. What does that make him? Sagittarius. Oh. It means two Sagittarius is now household with Penelope. Wow. Oh, it's a rambunctious sign. Yeah. So all the Sagittarius out there, you know who you are. Taylor Swift, Nicki Minaj, yeah. Miley Cyrus, Brad Pitt. Wow. You are yeah. really self-starters in a lot of ways. Yeah. G- gorgeous. Like Go- a beautiful, stunning, a stunning group. Stunning group. Oh, I'm so excited for you. He's such a little sweetie. I held him. And from I the know. Ukraine. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. I have a son and couldn't be happier. You have a son. I know. I have a son. <laughs> wow. That is my inspiration. But do you know what else is so inspiring about it? I think we're going to agree on this one. Oh. This I, week's episode. This week's episode could not be more hotly anticipated by the two of us and speaking wait Britney look at Britney Spears' birthday I'm almost positive she's a Sagittarius a Sagittarius no a Sagittarius as well no yes we could not have asked no for a better way in no to this episode ladies and gentlemen I goes this is our season finale and we are Diving deep into the history of the very beautiful, troubled, beloved Britney Spears. Britney Spears. Rolling Stone, 2008. Headline, The Tragedy of Britney Spears. And the author, Vanessa Gregoriadis. Okay, so this profile literally has everything. I mean, it's got first-person, gonzo-esque accounts of just showing up at the mall where Britney happens to be, chasing her around. It has the craziest sources on the planet. She got close to her in every which way. I mean, there must have been 20 sources interviewed in this. From, like, paparazzi that follow her around to close friends. It really catches her in this really tender and difficult moment because this had been a point in Britney Spears' career where the tabloids had taken over her life, taken over her life. She was on every front page of every magazine constantly as a result of her 2007 breakdown where she famously shaved her head and the press had an absolute field day and basically deemed her out of her mind. It offers a map as to how we got here. We go right back to the beginning to her early career, to her parents' relationship, to her father's like emotional abuse and alcoholism and how his addiction distressed her as a young person. It literally takes us through every single relationship from Justin Timberlake to her choreographer to Kevin Federline. I mean, she's got to be a good six to 8,000 words, I would say. Oh yeah. It's, it's juicy. It's meaty. I actually hear that the writer spent what? Two months on this story. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it. And and how did we hear that? Oh, we heard that because oh, she actually came into the studio oh. and told us all about it. That's right. This is a very special event in that Vanessa Gregoriadis is here with us today to tell us all about Brittany. 
chasing Britney, the art of the celebrity profile. This is like such an honor. This is such an honor. You're going to hear us absolutely fangirl fangirl (laughs) out because this woman, I mean, she is the gold standard. She really boils it down to the nexus. And I think that there's no better season finale than Britney Spears because she is one of the absolute biggest stars of our lifetime. And her meltdown was so public. The proportions like had never been seen up until this point. And so to be profiled by someone like Vanessa, you've reached another level of stardom. I mean, if you're familiar with her name, it might be because she went viral last week for going on a podcast and talking about her now very famous Meghan Markle uh, feature story in Vanity Fair from years ago. And she really gave some insider information there that just delighted uh, the news cycle. Without further ado. Without further ado, we are so lucky and we are so excited to present to you Vanessa Gregoriadis in conversation with the Uncovered Girls. (laughs) Well, hello, Vanessa. Oh my gosh, we could not be more excited to have you today. We are truly frothing at the mouth, I would say. (laughs) Fair fair to say. Uh, It's embarrassing. I'm already sweating. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to call up the story also just because. No, we were going to say, I mean, this is such a trip down memory lane for you. 2008. This is our truly dream get, which (laughs) must feel so bizarre for you. But like for us, it's like. We're into it. Yeah. yeah. No, okay. this is great. Real we, heroes welcome here. Thank you very much. Oh, of <laughs> course. We are going to be time traveling back to 2008. But before we get into our episode and the brilliant profile that we have, we want to introduce our esteemed and wonderful guest, Vanessa Gregoriadis. A truly brilliant writer who specializes in long-form articles on pop culture, youth movements. She's the author of Blurred Lines, Rethinking Sex, Power, and Consent on Campus, a book that answers many of the questions around sexual consent in national debate. And currently, Vanessa is a contributing writer at the New York Times Magazine and Vanity Fair. Um, She is also the co-founder of Campside Media, a podcast company devoted to narrative nonfiction storytelling and host of Infamous, a show that charts the most explosive scandals in recent history, from sex cults to espionage and beyond. Yeah, everybody should check out Infamous. Yes. Oh my gosh, it's so exciting. I actually it's, just listened to you on On the Edge with Andrew Gold, Oh my God, which, yeah. Who my knew? God, have you had a week or what? I honestly, this is the first time, maybe this will be the second time, this is the first time that something I've said on a podcast has gone viral because oh. I, I normally, you know, I don't love Meghan Markle, but I would not have talked so much smack about her if I thought it was going to be public. Okay. I just assume when you're on a podcast that it's like you're in the cone of silence. You're Vanessa, among friends. You're among friends. And listen, <laughs> we we did a Meghan Markle episode. It was actually our most recent profile we've ever covered, which was the 2022 cut profile by um, Alison P. Davis. And that... When I tell you, we walked into that episode like shitting ourselves. Like it was, we were like, this is the most polarizing person we have ever talked. And like, I could even go down the rabbit hole with that profile. But I think it's a a great way in because Ivana and I have wanted to anoint you as the queen of ride arounds, which is the Britney profile and a great place for us to kick off. But before we do, 
what was happening in 2008. Oh maybe. yeah. We got to give a little snapshot into the culture because this was the year that Britney's conservatorship was officially written in and outside of Britney, Obama was elected about to be inaugurated. Twilight was all the rage. Huge. Everyone was losing their minds. The Jonas brothers were opening up about their purity rings and why they wear them. And also groundbreaking. It feels like pop culture was having like this wild moment in 2008. And so to kick us off, I'd love to get a little bit of background into how this story started. If you were assigned it, if you pitched it, where was like this cover story born? And what was going on in your life at the time? Oh, God. Okay. So I was um, a writer for Rolling Stone. I was doing a lot of celebrity profiles. I was living in LA. I lived on the east side of LA and like Los Feliz. And my editor said to me, I think you should be doing Britney Spears. Like she's having a full on meltdown. And I was like, that is just dumb. That is just too gross. Like, I don't want to be involved in that. I don't even follow the tabloids. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, nah, I don't think I'm going to do it. Right. And this was like the head shaving time. And, you know, then I just went about my life. But I was like, oh, let me check out this news about Britney Spears. What is going on here? And I was like, oh, this is pretty interesting. Like, <laughs> This is getting pretty intense and weird. So eventually I came around to the idea. And, you know, the assignment was write about Britney Spears with no access. They were like, nobody's going to talk to you. The label's not going to talk to you. Oh, so they were clear about that from the outset. Like you were not mm-hmm. getting tied with Britney or anyone on her. In her well, they were like, call. you should try. And okay. I did call, but they said it's extremely unlikely. You know, the editors at Rolling Stone, they talk to labels all the time. So they knew what they were thinking. They were like, it's, I mean, at that point, she wasn't speaking to yeah. anybody at the label. I don't think. She might have changed her phone number. Yeah, you were going into it on from the outset, knowing that this was going to be a write around cover story. Correct. Well, no, I didn't know it was going to be a cover story. I didn't know what it was no going way. to be. You know, it's so hard now because when we think about write arounds, we think about people just sort of writing what they think about the person, like from the apartment. You're like, I think this and this. And I <laughs> yes. looked at some paparazzi photos. An opinion that, piece. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like an opinion piece that ends up not being reported, but it has interesting lines in it and your opinions are good. Um, but back in the day, like 2008, when, you know, you said right around, you meant like real right around, like get on the phone with the people who know her, like go try to figure it all out. But the big difference here is I was living in L.A. So as opposed to like what I would have normally done, which is fly from New York to L.A. for two days and talk to like two people, I was able to really report it as a beat for, you know, five or six weeks. Every party I went to, I was like asking people, hey, do you know Britney Spears? Do you know anybody who knows Britney Spears? Like blah, blah, blah. And that's how I got like, I mean, I got so, it was so insane. And basically there was just, it was just like the whole story was there if you went to Beverly Hills because there were people hanging out, particularly at the Four Seasons, like in the lobby, in the bar, mm. at, in the restaurant and bar in the Four Seasons lobby was like the center of like Britney uh, sourcing and news because she would come and stay in the Four Seasons sometimes. I was interested in your in your take on the context that was Britney Spears at the time. I, there's a there's a pullout in the in the profile in the story that says she was still having boutiques open for her at 2 a.m. and that was really baffling and crazy to me because 
she was, you know, very visibly going off the rail. So the fact that she still had the pull and the power in Beverly Hills among these kind of elite circles is is really interesting. I feel like now if we saw a celebrity going down that road, people would cut them off, you know, at the ankles and just like, you know, we don't want anything to do with this. We mm-hmm. want to distance ourselves. That was fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I think that what I got to see was just Oh, it was so crazy. Like, I, I mean, you would go up to Coldwater Canyon, I think, where she lived and like hang out outside her house was where I, there were like a million paparazzi cars up there. And I would just like go talk to all of them. And then there'd be like some sort of chase. And I would like go on the chase Whoa. with one of the guys. And then, you know, at night I would like go to the Four Seasons and that's where like all the lawyers were and the, you know, different weirdos who were around her. But I do think basically I got this guy who had a paparazzi agency to be like down with me and be my friend. And he introduced me to one of his paparazzos who was like, I'll help you. Like, I will help you. You can go in the car with me. But, like, I got really sick of sitting around in Coldwater Canyon. I was like, I can't continue to do this. Like, <laughs> yeah. I can't. I mean, I was living in Los Feliz. It was, like, you know, 45 minutes or whatever, half an hour away. And then, like, half the time you would go there and, like, nothing would be happening. And it's like, okay, well, what do I do? Now I'm up here just sitting around with these guys, like, you know, shooting <laughs> the shit for, like, hours at a time. So I was like, look, next time she moves call me. Like, it was like a Saturday. I'll come from Los Feliz. And he was like, that's too far. And I was like, you know what? It's, I'm not staying here anymore. So he was like, okay, I'll call you. <laughs> so I'm like, Adam, <laughs> I mean, I will really never forget this. And he's like, she's on the move. And I'm like, <laughs> so I like jump in my car and he's like, she's going, she's going to the valley. She's going to the valley. So I'm like going up on the five, you know, like going around the side of LA to try With to no meet Google them. Maps, right? With Are you like, maps questing this? No, you... like, yeah, I think I had like one of those Garmin things that would like help you, like, you know, vaguely know where you were going. And they were like, she's at the mall. Like, she's at the mall. So I pulled into the mall and I literally like just left my car, like right there in front of the mall. And I was like, oh my God, I know she's here because everybody was looking, looks crazy. Like every, you would see like people were like shopping normally. And then there were people who looked like they'd like just seen Jesus. And they were like, what? and I was like, oh my God, Britney Spears is actually in here. And so I'm like running through the mall because I don't know where she is. I'm like, where could she be? And like go to the second floor. I'm like, no, she's not there. And I I saw the Betsy Johnson and I saw a bunch of people outside the Betsy Johnson. I was like, oh shit, she's in there. And because of course she was in Betsy Johnson. Like what other store did she really feminine? That, right. Yes, bang on and so I ran into the Betsy Johnson and she was in the um, she was in the like changing room. So I was able to sort of see the end of the, like, sort of scene there and then walked with her as she, like, ran outside. And then I, like, went back into the mall and, like, interviewed all these different people, like, talked to the shop girls, talked to all the other people, like, uh, who had seen her. Because I could tell who had seen her. It was so nuts. It was so nuts. Um, would you mind, Vanessa, if we just read the excerpt? Oh, no, yeah, I know this is incredibly okay. cringe for you, but for us, oh it's so God. scintillating. Yeah, we, okay. we have it pulled up we and pulled out up. here. Do a dramatic reading. Okay, so this is how this story opens. A pop star at the mall is an eternal cause for happiness, especially on a Sunday afternoon in the Valley. One moment, shoppers in the Westfield Topanga Mall are living in the real world. 
monotonously selecting a new shade of eyeshadow or rubbing perfume on wrists, but upon the rapture of Britney Spears, they are giggling, laughing, orgasmic, already sharing their secrets on cell phones. Her legs are actually really skinny, an adolescent whispers in her sidekick. As Britney beelines for the Betsy Johnson Boutique, a pseudo-punk designer of evening dresses and splashy heels worn to suburban high school proms. In person, Britney is shockingly beautiful. Clear skin, ruby lips, a perfect proportion 26-year-old porcelain doll with a nasty weave. She cuts through the crowd swiftly, the way she used to when 20,000 adoring fans mobbed her outside a concert with her paparazzi boyfriend, Anan Ghalib, trailing behind. So there Ooh. we are. It really, it really paints a picture. Also, describing Betsy Johnson as worn to suburban high school proms could not be more, more beautiful. <laughs> time and the sidekick. I mean, it's really. How did you get these sources to trust you, especially the ones that are close to Britney Spears, but also these random like mall goers, paparazzos? All of, girls. All, all of these people, how did you get them to open up? No, to- they were all so excited. They were like, <laughs> oh my God, what this is crazy. What just happened? They want, I mean, remember, this wasn't like people sort of had phones on their like cameras on their phones, but not quite, you know? Mm. Like it wasn't like if you couldn't imagine this happening today, like everybody would be like, I'm putting it on my Instagram. Like I don't want right. to tell you what happened because I want the follows or something. Yeah. You know? I want the scoop. But, Everyone's yeah, a journalist. Exactly. But like back then it wasn't, you know, wasn't really like that. I mean also if you say Rolling Stone, people are just like, oh my God, let me talk to you. I'm wondering what that era of media was like from the outside of this program, I mean, even, even the first paragraph, you have so much freedom. You are so expressive. And I feel like the fact-checking process, the nature of social media and like the quick to cancel culture that we have now, it's a lot more rigid. This seems like you had a carte blanche, like you were just living. I mean, I do think that you can still do reporting. Like, I'm sure there's some people doing some pretty interesting reporting today, like at the Donald Trump, you know, which is like five blocks from here, like the Donald Trump arraignment. You can still do some really good reporting. I think it's harder. Yeah, because it's just not as accepted. Like people are like, who are you and what are you doing? Whereas like back then they were like, oh, she's like must be a gossip columnist. There were so many people around. I definitely think I lived that story in, like, an interesting way. And the other thing I did, which was fascinating, is I, you know, again, I didn't know that much about Britney Spears. So I was like, well, where am I going to get this information that's also, like, acceptable to, you know, like, a lawyer who's going to read the piece or, like, seems like it's been vetted? And what I realized is us— Weekly had all of their magazines in like a library at Us Weekly. So I went and I got all the physical magazines because, you know, there's like very, very different stuff that's online, right? They don't put like the good reporting online, but they had had so many stories that were like deeply reported about her. So I went and got all those magazines. And that was like, that was really a brilliant move on my part because (laughs) it meant that like, I was able to have stuff that didn't feel really gross, but also didn't feel like it was sanitized for, you know, an authorized biography. Just like more details about like when she got married in Vegas or like, you know what I mean? There's often what seems to be requests for comments in in the sense of Britney denied losing a virginity at 14 and so on and so forth. And I was thinking, how on earth 
did she get this no comment or this denial? And that must be it, right? It was pulled from the Us Weekly reporting. I will say the greatest, like my most vivid memory and the greatest part of this whole thing is like, so I was running around being like, do you know Britney Spears? Do you know Britney Spears? I went to this party. I was like, do you know Britney Spears? So I was like, I do know somebody who I think has been hanging out with her. And I was like, oh, I must know that person. <laughs> and this woman was like, I'm going to introduce you to this guy from the Scandinavian House of Style. He's like got some sort of pop-up shop or something. It's called the Scandinavian House of Style. And he's been hanging out with Britney. And I was like, all right, that sounds good. And she's like, he wants to talk to you right now. And I was like, all right. I'm like, again, driving on a freeway because I live in L.A. And he's like, okay, you want an interview with Britney? And I was like, I do. I do really want an interview with Britney. And he's like, okay, I can make this happen. And I was like, amazing. Great. And he was like, okay, but I need $2 million. I was like, really? Not just like $1 million? You need $2 million? And he was like, I need $2 million. I was like, well, you know, typically we don't pay for interviews. Definitely not $2 million. And he was like, just let me know. Let me know. That's the only way you're going to talk to her. Just let me know. And I was like, okay. So I hang up the phone and I called my editor and I was like, could I just like play this out? Like, I know we're not giving him any money, but like, can I just play this out? Because this could be really funny. And he was like, absolutely. Like, go, go for it. So I was like, all right, Scandinavian house of style guy. Let's meet up. I was like, I won't have the money, though. And he was like, well, you have a contract for $2 million. And I was like, yeah, I'll have a contract. <laughs> okay. Yeah, oh sure. Oh, my God. So he's like, all right, meet me on the corner of Doheny and Sunset, and which is like peak, like WeHo, Beverly Hills. And I was like, all right, 15 minutes. I was like, all right. So I just like 15 drove minutes. It was like literally like half an hour, 15 Why minutes. Why is like, no one giving you any time to get to these places throughout his traffic? All on crack, clearly. Oh as I do not know that. I'm not accusing anybody of being on crack. But like it was, they, <laughs> they were just, it was crazy, right? Everybody was like sort of running around like a crazy person. Anyway, so I pull up Doheny and Sunset. I'm waiting in my car and this car pulls up and it's like a Beater, like navy blue Porsche. And I was like, oh, this is going to be this guy. And he gets out of the car and he has a shirt on that says, fuck rehab. And I was like, this is my guy. Yeah, this is for definitely sure. my guy. Anybody else. <laughs> and he was like, do you have the contract? <laughs> I was like, and was remember when people used to carry around like their computers and little laptop cases? So I just like pulled out of my life. I was like, yeah, it's right here. Oh, wow. And then God. from there, like nothing good happened because I didn't get to meet Brittany. But it was amazing. It was a truly memorable. Yeah, that was a memorable. <laughs> the two million dollars. I know. Really a shocking sum. sum. Do you think that if Rolling Stone had produced two million dollars, you would have been able to meet with her? I think so. You like believed in his access? He was like fully hanging out with her. Yeah. No like way. I think he was hanging out with her. And I do think does that, that not show the extent to which she was gay kept and manipulated by everyone in her circle? It's just yeah. so this showed some of the like earliest warning signs of what was going on in Britney's life. The details that have come out, I would say in like the past couple of years, this profile showed some of that, you know, the clashes with her father, the emotional abuse that she endured with him and how everyone prioritized the machine in Britney Spears over Britney Spears, the person. This profile had all of that in it in 2008. Yeah, and it was I, all there. You wrote with a lot of 
compassion. Like it never, obviously the, it was so scandalous, but it never felt salacious. Mm -hmm. Like it was incredibly entertaining, but there was no, we talk about in terms of, of profiles on controversial figures and how sometimes they can be really punishing, especially from this era and especially from male journalists. Mm-hmm. And this is just it's so incredibly objective. I mean, there's this one part that I'm remembering where she wouldn't come out of her trailer and record executives were bribing friends to see if they could get her out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the manipulation, the money changing hands, and I'll take you on a shopping spree if you can get Britney to come out and film this music video or whatever. Right. It's heavy stuff. It's heavy. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's a sort of a sad story all around. You know, like she definitely was losing her mind. And there were so many people who were tied in with her financially that they couldn't let her like be sick, which is probably like what she needed. I'm curious if you remember reporting on this. This was a detail that I didn't know. She gets out of rehab and I guess Antigua flies to Miami, flies coach to LA, shows up at Kevin's house. It's like, give me the kids. He's like, I'm not giving you the kids. I'm here with Lynn. I'm here with your manager. And then she goes on the head shaving tirade and spends the next 48 hours awake driving around LA, just crushing Red Bulls. And I maybe yeah. it was because it was so, so limited. And yeah. yeah. And, uh, I think it also came from a specific person that I interviewed. Because I also interviewed like a bunch of people for the story, you know, some of whom are named and some of whom are unnamed. Mm-hmm. We were go- yeah. we wanted to ask about that because there were some details from that you cite as close friends and they are so incredibly intimate. And it was, I think that was Ivana's kind of key question or takeaway is how did you facilitate this trust with her in a circle? I mean, I know the Rolling Stone name carries weight, but that's a testament to your skills as a journalist mm-hmm. that they said, you know, hey, like I, I want to tell you what's really going on with her. Rolling Stone carries weight, you know, and then when it became clear, like, this is going to be a big story, um, there were people who are willing to talk. Um, In terms of, like, smaller people, you know, I don't know, you just got to be good on the phone a lot of the time. (laughs) You know, you got to give good phone, as they say. You yeah. do have a like a sexy low register uh, yes. voice. Uh, <laughs> enter a register that I'm like, oh, let's settle it. Let's divulge all my gotta secrets. Gotta do that. Yeah, please divulge your secrets. Please. <laughs> please divulge um, your secrets. And in terms of the divulging, was there anything that truly surprised you or shocked you in the reporting of this story that you like fully were not expecting going into the piece? Or moments you felt like your mind was changed about Brittany through the reporting process? I only at the end became convinced that she was really ill. You know, I start, I sort of started off thinking, oh, she's just lashing out. This is like a lashing out celebrity, like, meltdown, the way that, like, Michael Jackson had a meltdown and all these different people have had them. But as time went on, I was like, oh, she's really needs help. Like she really might have something chemically imbalanced, you know? There's this quote, I wonder if you can find it, where you're talking about Jamie Spears, her father, and, you, and it's it's something about his history with addiction. It's, it's reported, you know, she has some really, really bad genetics. Like she was almost predestined for this. That stayed with me because it is, there's another part where you say, you know, even Michael Jackson wasn't strapped to a gurney. And it's like, you're absolutely right. Like there's there is a difference between just true chaos and then someone who 
does not have the facilities to even drive a car or just show up in any capacity. And I, and that's like what really rings true at this point. And I think has been now the ongoing discussion for the past, you know, 15 years. I also feel like you really paint a picture here of how lonely this moment was and how there was truly no support, no family. Another, um, a quote that I, or like a section that I thought was so so devastating was that at this point in 2008, you write, she does not have a manager, agent, or publicist. Jive Records no longer speaks to her directly, and the publicist at the label assigned to Britney refused to participate in this article. She has no stylist, image consultant, crisis control manager, or driver. She has pushed away her family, her brother, and father. And then the quote in there is, all the men in my life do not know how to accept a real woman's love, mm. she explained. Yeah. Her sister, Jamie Lynn, who she speaks to. Uh-huh. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> she's right? rarely. <laughs> yeah. And also her mother. Like, so she's cut literally everyone out of her life. Right. And this is a moment, not just that she's experiencing a mental health episode, which is like so serious and so real. And like, we know that a chemical imbalance seems to be something that she's had to live with and work mm-hmm. through through the entire duration of her life. And she was just pushed to the absolute limit. And at the point that this profile is written, it's like catching her in this impossible moment where there is no support. There's no lifeline, it feels like. And I feel like that's like the piece of this that really sends shivers down my spine is at no point, friends are clearly concerned about her, but no one can do anything. No one can do anything about it, it seems like. And the the shivers down my spine was was the reference to, you know, life coaches or these pseudo-spiritual figures that orbited her. I I forget his full name, but Osama, who goes by Sam, I think, who I actually- Sam, yeah. Yeah, who I actually looked up in research for this interview. And he's this guy who's, you know, 20K followers on Instagram, hanging out with the likes of Jordan Woods and Ross Butler, like this new generation of young stars, which was really interesting to me. I think that's the exact point. Like she was just truly isolated in a way that's almost impossible to imagine or relate to now. Uh, Social media always keeps you somewhat connected or it seems Mm -hmm. like that, right? With With this generation of stars, they have so much more control obviously over their narrative. And that's been that's a that's a song that's been sung to death. But I mean, that control really does give you a little bit of like agency, agency over your life. And Ivana's highlighted here, like the machine always won. And that seems to be absolutely true in her case. I mean, to put out what was an iconic album <laughs> this year from Give Me More to Peace of Me, these absolute bangers that we were going hard to in the club. Yeah. And to do this all, like to just to be such a profitable entity. It's crazy. Yeah. It's totally crazy. I love those songs, though. That was a really good oh, album. Yeah, I love that. was such a fun album. Yeah, there Incredible are questions album. of how much she read, she actually sang on that album. You Wait, know? I'm obsessed <laughs> here, Vanessa. You have a quote from Carrie Hilson. I've, you, this is, this has to mark the first time I've ever seen Carrie Hilson just pop on up in a in a profile yeah and and I think she says something to the extent of she was like a ghost yeah she was the queen of ghost moves says Carrie Hilson yeah who did backup vocals and co-wrote give me more I didn't know that she'd be in the booth one second and then security would come and get her and we wouldn't know where she was gone and then there you have a follow-up here from one of her former bodyguards again the 
the sources that you have are absolutely bonkers where he refers to um, her near overdose with songwriter Howie Day in a Los Angeles hotel room. The room was trash, a glass pipe alongside a white substance. The bodyguard claimed was cocaine or meth. It's just, it's, yeah. you're like, you're like, oh God, I forgot about that. <laughs> totally. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Really funny. How did you approach writing the boyfriends in? Because I feel like Brittany has been, her image is so closely tied to this story of her love with just this pure love with Justin Timberlake and them in the double denim and then right. Kevin Federline was her undoing. And then how did you go about writing about these men in her life? but not letting it like completely consume oh, her. I really, honestly, I'm like a bee looking for like little bits of honey, like whatever is sort of fun. But yeah, I mean, I think that that is the plot line, right? Like the idea that Federline like let her, you know, put her down this like sort of low class pathway. And then she just like... Well, I think even further after that, what you do, which is incredible, is you use the men or these different relationships as kind of tent poles throughout the piece. You know, she starts off as the virgin, and then you talk about her deflowering in front of the American public for our entertainment. And then it's Justin who obviously goes on to go on Howard Stern and be like, Yeah, I fucked her. Yeah. And then, and then so on and so forth. Kevin Federline, who brings out her white trash, and suddenly she's barefoot in the gas station and and so on and so forth and it's like you do use these these relationships as almost like yardsticks to check in where is she at who is who is she dating and how have those those partnerships being formative I mean there's this incredible quote Ivana's just pulled up her virginity was such a point of discussion and you write, if she did lose her virginity at 14, this was a secret she couldn't share, particularly because her manager's plans included marketing her as the teenage low leader of middle-aged men's dreams. <sighs> that's that's shiver-inducing. Yeah. That yeah. shiver-inducing. No, and it because both are present in this profile, we meet early Britney, young Britney, Britney before sort of the Britney machine. And then Mm -hmm. we see what it looks like now. I think that juxtaposition is so powerful because early Britney, you describe her as on the road, Britney was humble, washing her dishes, doing her laundry, calling older female assistants, ma'am. We would wake Britney up at 6am and she'd work on a video for three or four days straight. Her driver of five years said she was kind, generous, sweetheart with a big heart and no poor habits. An unedited goofball and a girly girl who wrote flowery notes to her friends, burped a lot, and liked practical jokes. And it's like, oh my God, what a sweetie. Yeah, what have what happened? Let's yeah. See. And then we find out over the course of the next how long was this dude? Was this six thousand words? Am I probably? <laughs> yeah. It's long. It's long. Yeah. I know. I think it, like Ivana described it as the most comprehensive. Wait, uh, what's your writing? Britney. What do you guys <laughs> have about? <laughs> oh my God. So both of us are uh, entertainment, entertainment journalists. I would say Ivana is more in like the investigative realm. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a lot of profiles for sure. But I mean... Beatrice just wrote a cover story on Orlando Bloom. But I'm working on a story now for Vanity Fair. Oh, cool. Ivana's doing yeah. a deep dive on Delilah, the bar in LA. Like, What's Delilah? I don't even know what that oh, is. I haven't been to LA in so long. It's in West Hollywood Mm -hmm. and it's like become this very strange 
change cultural hubs, specifically for celebrities. Kendall and Kylie Jenner celebrated their 21st birthday there. <laughs> Kylie God. Gerber celebrated her 16th birthday Drake there. Drake has a drink named after him. Kendall has a brownie named yeah. after him. Amazing. That's okay. Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> so I've been spending lots of evenings just like people watching in that bar and it's been very fun. Oh my um, God. I love but no, it. I mean, it's, I think what we talk about at this era of, of journalism so often is just the depth and breadth that you were able to truly achieve and the the leash that you were given. I mean, we even read a Gwyneth Paltrow profile from 2000 recently and just the journalist described just every facet of her face from her freckles to her <laughs> high cheekbones. And yeah. I don't know if I've described a celebrity's appearance in actually any profile. And I think it's because of our access to them. It's the fact that they'll post a makeup free selfie and we'll get to see it firsthand. It's yeah, just- it was more literary, I think, also then because it was yes. just like, yeah, you knew you didn't know what people really looked like, like when yeah. they weren't on screen or like in a pop picture or whatever. I mean, it's hard because it, the other thing is, is that, you know, a lot of premieres, I worked for New York Magazine forever. And back then there was much more like porousness in terms of like VIP parties. So if there was a premiere for a movie, there would be, you know, the movie premiere after party and we would be invited, like not everybody, but like 20 journalists would be invited. And then maybe there would be like a VVIP room that we wouldn't be allowed to go into. <laughs> oh or if we went in there, we would have to like a publicist would go with us. But we wouldn't we were still in the main room where like many celebrities were. So it's like, I mean, I didn't stand in like a, like a red rope lines, you know, near a step and repeat until like 10 years ago. Like mm-hmm. I never had to do that. And then they were like, oh no, wait, sorry. You guys are gone out of here. We don't we don't want you guys here anymore. You're not important anymore. That's you know? all we like, talk about. We always we talk we talk about the shift at constantly because there yeah. has been such a palpable one. But I'm wondering from that that time, what were the relationships like between the the star and the journalist? Because when we do interviews, we come away with this weird parasocial connection. It's not real. We've gone through a million publicists and there's a veil definitively between us and the talent. For you back then, mingling in the same room, was that like, oh, I hi, Orlando. Was it, hey, <laughs> Vanessa, was it that type of dynamic? No. 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 Well, <laughs> okay. I mean, you could have done. I mean, we always like, like joke around that like we... You know, because a lot of my writing is fairly satirical and like, oh, God, we were in these rooms with Orlando Bloom and then we went and made fun of Orlando Bloom. Like, <laughs> so dumb. We should have been trying to be friends with him. Like, what were we thinking? Like, oh we were so close to power and we like didn't network with power. We're so dumb, you know, like that's sort of what I think now. But No, I mean, I think that the difference is that, you know, when you were assigned a profile, you were getting like significant time and you were hanging in people's hotel rooms and you were like on the road with people. And again, like Rolling Stone always got by far the best access. But, you know, I'm trying to think of something like Katy Perry. I mean, I probably spent three days with her. I went to her house. We went to a hotel together. I did Mm. Rolled around with her in a car forever. I was like, oh, my God, how much more am I doing here? I went to, like, uh, an event she did at a high school. I went to, like, a video she was, like, shooting. I went to, like, hear her band practice. Like, 
there was just access, access, access. Yeah. You know, I don't even do it anymore. I don't even know if I would be up approved. for it. Right. No, because like I have such track record that like <laughs> I think people would be like, we're not approving you. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, you know, yeah, the, the PR thing is so real where it's like if you've ever published anything even slightly critical, like I remember yeah. an experience happening where like Netflix banned us because someone wrote something negative about like one of their like rising stars. <laughs> and they right. were like, you don't get screeners anymore. You don't get like to do anything if you're going to be critical in any way. But also we really romanticize that excess. Like we romanticize the three days spent with the star without a publicist. But hearing you describe it, when is enough enough? Even me hanging out with Ivana nonstop for three days, following her around to a music video shoot and going to her high school appearance, I'd be like, yeah, uh, I mean, I'm pretty tired of all this Ivana talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sort of true. But when did you guys see a change so in we, access? So we started, I mean, I started at Vice in 2016, 2016. Mm-hmm. So the shift was already happening, but... I did notice how much reverence stars had for press and it's not the same anymore. The way that they've managed to kind of circumvent or truly build their own, uh, their own followings, obviously um, online, they don't need the validation or the validity that came with press. But back then it truly felt, I mean, I was at lunch with French Montana and Steve Aoki would come over and French Montana would be like, who is this to me? That was 2017. Five years later, I cannot imagine that happening now. We just haven't had the time and and yeah, and the one-to-one. And well, people them. probably realize like, oh, we can get away with you because they had to do it on with Zoom. COVID. And then they were like, oh, we can just make sure everything's on Zoom. That would yeah. be way better. Yeah. And the publicist is just sitting there quietly on mute in the of background. Of course. Yeah, a shadow. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A shadow. <laughs> yeah, and then you can like text your client in real time, like say this, say that. Oh, oh I would die to see those conversations oh, for sure. <laughs> Oh, um, yeah. Stop talking now. Stop talking yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, there are moments exactly. where I'm like, that was abrupt. That was really abrupt. I definitely yeah. had oh. Ad- Addison Ray early on <laughs> dodged a question and I hadn't had talent dodge a question ever. But she just skipped. She said, actually, next one, please. And I was like, oh, good Lord. I haven't heard someone skip a question. It's I would love to know. And we can absolutely omit mm-hmm. any names, but do you recall a particularly traumatizing run-in with talent? Again, no names need to be said, but is there a Ugh. time that you were truly scarred that lives on in your I mean, name? I flew to the Bahamas to interview somebody, and then she was like, we're just having lunch. And I was like, oh, I was supposed to play, spend like three days with you. Like, why would I come all the way here just to have lunch with you? Like, which I couldn't say, but <laughs> basically she'd like run out of time to finish her record. And they just like didn't tell me before I got on the plane. I was like, I'm here now. Like, you should have told me that before I left, you yes. know, things like that. Mostly it's just like, you know, I have kids now and it's a totally different situation because you're just like, oh my God, like there's a babysitter. Like I can't, like I have to go. Like, what are you guys doing? You know, like that's where I think also it becomes really hard to do things like on other people's schedules because you're like, right now my my schedule takes precedence, right? Totally. I can't like, come to the studio at 3 a.m. and, and yeah, show up and meet you. I do. I mean, the thing I did... Again, I'm not doing this like because now I'm making my podcast infamous that everybody should listen to. Yay, um, listen, but, listen, yeah. listen, listen, listen. Thing that I did when I had my kids is I started to say, I can do it any day, 10 to 3. I'll be there. 10 to 3. That's when I do my calls. 
10 to 3. Mm-hmm. And that worked because people like you're not being like, oh, my God, I can only do this at four o'clock on Tuesday. But you're saying like, this is my boundary. Because as you know, it's like people, publicists will just call you at like eight o'clock at night. And like, particularly if you live in New York, like people will call you at the end of their day, you know, like when they're in the car driving home and then you're just like, it's 9 p.m. here, you guys. Like, oh, she'll call. Oh, she's going to call in 15 minutes. And then it's like 930. And you're like, I can't believe I've been waiting for this call since five o'clock. I've I've said this on a previous episode, but I had an interview scheduled with Drake's baby mama, this woman, Sophie Brazil, and I was going to have the first exclusive. Yeah. And I was on a press trip in Abu Dhabi and they found my hotel, the publicist, and called my hotel at about midnight UAE time. And I just was like, the 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 lengths, you know, we're having this conversation and I'm here in Abu Dhabi about, you know, the mother of Drake's child. Just Why were you in Abu Dhabi? Uh, just a press trip. I was <laughs> reviewing a Hyatt hotel. Thank you, Hyatt. It was a beautiful yeah. hotel. I'd love to come back. I'd love to come you back. You got to listen to my Dubai princesses thing. You may not want to go back. That oh just my God, I just, yeah. I can't wait to listen uh, to it. Oh my, God. yeah, maybe I won't want to go back. All right, no. on that note, I got to go, you guys. I got to yeah, go, you gotta like go 10 to three before I go home. But it was so amazing amazing to talk to you uh this was so fun i'm gonna listen to the podcast the megan markle episode we want your thoughts on i will listen to that for sure because i'm thinking about doing something on her and i'm just like can i handle it can i handle i know blowback and then people being like it's like i think she's the worst but i also feel like I don't want to talk about how she's the worst because then it somehow makes me look bad. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That's what we struggled with. That's what we struggled with. It's true of everyone. Absolutely. I know. It's a really weird thing. All right. Take care. Thank you you so much. Bye-bye. Oh, I'm literally, I'm on a high. Wow. I'm shaking. Oh, it was just so interesting to hear the like on the ground reporting required, the like chasing Brittany around, finding her in Topanga Malls. The commitment that that requires, I yeah, I don't think I have the work ethic, frankly. <laughs> I just, it's just I'm not cut out for it, coach. Oh, <sighs> we are so lucky to have had that illuminating conversation. And please immediately listen to Infamous. Vanessa's podcast with fellow reporter Gabriel Sherman. They are currently in the middle of an absolutely amazing investigation into Dubai's missing princesses, and you have to listen. Which she teased a little bit if you caught the the Abu Dhabi reference. And honestly, next season of Uncover Girl, we're going to have a few more little people popping up. Mm-hmm. And we're so excited to to bring you more of these conversations, but also let us know kind of how you you felt about this one i mean i'm i'm so excited to hear how the eye goes i mean look interviewing that's what that's kind of what we we do it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of insight into into how we live and i know and and some of the people that we'll bring on are people that we've admired forever that, that you know very well yeah that have just like incredible insight because you and i do not claim to know everything Ugh, we have I mean, so much to learn. We're close. We know a lot. <laughs> we know so much. <laughs> no, we don't. We we actually know very, very little. And that is why we have this show at all to, to learn. To learn. To we're learn. here to learn. I know. And we're so, we're so grateful for you following us along on this journey through the most chaotic cover stories in magazine history. Uh, It's been like a a delight. We say this every week. It's been such a delight. We love that you um, are enjoying it as well. And that has just brought us so much joy. Yeah. 
truly thank you from the bottom of our hearts and above all I love you Beatrice I love you Ivana and we'll see you next season yes we'll see you next season we'll keep you posted but we have some very very exciting profiles to get into bye Agos love you Agos (laughs) 